0: Chapter Twenty Five of Policy and Passion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Policy and Passion by Rosa Campbell Praed. Chapter Twenty Five. You shall be my faith. Honoria felt, when she laid her head upon her pillow that night, or rather the next morning, that she had irrevocably committed herself it was true that she had not in so many words consented to become barrington's wife but she knew that when he should come to her upon the morrow she would have no power to withstand him did she wish to do so she could hardly tell like her father she had a vague belief in the power of destiny it was her fate to be controlled by this man and after all she argued what could there be more in accordance with her yearnings for melodramatic emotion than this complete surrender of her will to an influence which was half fascination half repulsion allied to considerable strength there was in honoria's nature a flaccid liability to domination as long as she had remained in the shallows she had been strong and self-confident now that she had dived into deep waters she was helpless as a child barrington had made her his slave it struck her excited fancy again as it had done several times before that she might be the victim of a mesmeric experiment was it possible that he could unconsciously to herself have magnetised her into this condition of trembling dependency upon his words and looks was this the explanation of these fits of heat and cold this state of dreamy unreality and frightened expectancy could this magic spell that seemed to deepen every day be due to an occult influence which when it faded with familiarity would leave but repugnance or limp subservience thought of in the darkness her loneliness seemed unbearable there was no one who understood her mrs ferris was incapable of comprehending her state of mind and was moreover devoted to barrington she could not take her father into her confidence in spite of her ardent impressionability there was in her nature a strong maidenly instinct which made her recoil from the breath of impurity and the sight of longleat and mrs valiancy in the arbour the hints and rumours which she had heard had filled her soul with disgust at the moral atmosphere which encompassed her in her longing for sympathy she clung to the thought of maddox his opinion was like a subtle vapour permeating every method of analysis which she brought to bear upon her relations with barrington his evident conviction of her love acting as an argument in the englishman's favour it is impossible that a woman can love two men at the same time she said aloud while she tossed restlessly upon her pillow her eyes piercing the darkness saw only the face of her enslaver like a magic lantern illumination on the wall opposite wherever she looked his gaze followed her then she fell into a fit of weeping and at last dropped into a troubled slumber which lasted till long after the house was astir and the premier gone to the treasury when honoria entered the drawing room mrs ferris was reading a letter which the morning post had brought her while little janie played at her feet dear heart said the old lady looking up with a wrinkled brow and expression of perplexity i wish that i could get a finished feeling just as i have brought a new black silk dress and am beginning to enjoy myself that old man of mine writes to tell me that angela is ailing i wish i knew whether i ought to go back now do you think honoria that the child is really ill or that it is only one of anthony's whimsies not but what i'd be glad to go if they really wanted me but it is ten to one that angela will not even eat a bit of jelly of my making never was there such a faddish creature honoria my child i'd have been a happy woman if i had had a son and I am sure it is a credit to myself, with all the reproaches that have been thrown at me, that I have kept as straight as I have done. Now, did you notice Mrs. Valiancy last night? And did you remark the locket she was wearing round her neck? I'll swear upon my oath that I saw it in Solomon's shop window last week, and we all guess who bought it of him. Hush, said Honoria. You forget the child. Little mother, cried Janey, here is Mr. Maddox honoria rose confusedly as dyson entered he shook hands with her first then with mrs ferris who began volubly to recount her difficulties i came to ask if i could do anything for you up kurong he said i will ride over to kurilbin if you wish it and bring you back news of angela that will set your mind at rest are you going away asked honoria with a feeling of despair for a few days only he replied i cannot be spared for longer from the office honoria took up a strip of embroidery from the table and put in a few rapid stitches janey's unchildlike eyes regarded her attentively i am so dull said the little creature after a reflective pause i like Kuralbin best father is always away here and little mother never takes me on her back or plays with me as she used to bless us cried mrs ferris when you are as old as honoria you will know that girls have something better to think of than amusing little children are you dull come and i will build you a house all this time honoria's lips were trembling suddenly she put down her work and looked at dyson mrs ferris was searching with janey for a box of bricks and honoria spoke under cover of the confusion when you come back again everything may be different with me you will have got your wish said dyson "'You are in love at last, like the women in novels.' "'You are taken out of your petty world. "'I am glad of that.' "'You are certain that I am in love, then?' she asked. "'A red flush passed over Dyson's face. "'You persist in torturing me. "'Have I not told you that I believe so?' "'Honoria folded her hands with a gesture of final acceptance. "'Do you think that I am happy?' i don't understand that passionate kind of love which makes a person miserable and joyful by turns i suppose that in some people it is natural a woman like you cannot do things by halves you are right she answered you have learned to understand me at last it is my misfortune that i cannot be content with tame sensations i want what i have not got and when it is within my reach i hate it it is as mr carthcart said i have raised the devil i wish now that i could make myself dull and commonplace but it is of no use wishing can you not see i am like two creatures i am being pulled in opposite directions as honoria spoke the drawing-room door opened softly and barrington was admitted he went up to miss longleat and took her hand with an air of proprietary interest that was not lost upon dyson asked Mrs. Ferris whether she had recovered from the fatigues of the ball, kissed Janey and turning to Dyson suavely commented upon his early departure from government house the evening before. His entrance seemed to bring another atmosphere into the room and produced a marked effect upon Honoria. Her pale cheeks flushed, and she talked rapidly and with feverish vivacity. Dyson took up his hat and bade her good-bye. Have you any commission that I can execute at Coralbin? he asked none unless you can bring me a whiff of mountain air oh i feel stifled here you must come back in time for the frasers party it is the nunc demitis of the opposition i suppose that you have heard this morning's news said barrington to honoria you were anxious about the wogong election mr Greaseback has been returned another of our side cried miss longleat with an assumed air of triumphant interest but i am too confident of victory to be keenly excited leichardt's land must see the advantages of the railway we have rather a personal than a political majority the general feeling is more with your father as a conquering and powerful leader than with his policy said dyson soberly good-bye mrs ferris i will ride over to Coralbin, and i hope that i may bring you back good news honoria nodded as he departed meeting his eyes with a bright wide-open gaze that implied utter recklessness when he was gone mrs ferris not without intent discovered that she had some shopping to do and led janie away with her and honoria and barrington were left alone the windows leading to the garden were thrown open the day was bright and cloudless the horizon crisp and sharp the sun shone upon the beds of azaleas and camellias and the scent of mignonette filled the room the air was balmy nevertheless there was a wood-fire burning upon the hearth and honoria whose luxuriant nature basked in warmth moved towards it and stood with one arm resting upon the mantelpiece and her eyes downcast upon the carpet her attitude called attention to the rounded outlines of her figure and the long curves of her shoulders and bust she wore a tightly fitting dress of black chosen with a vague reference to barrington's visit her fair hair was negligently coiled after the fashion which becomes a greek contour and she had twisted a black lace scarf around her throat above which her creamy complexion arose in mellow contrast her vigils had cast soft shadows beneath her eyes and there were lines of tremulous sensibility about her lips her whole pose was unconsciously expectant and inviting barrington's heart beat quickly and advancing before she was aware of his intention he threw his arm around her and drew her close to him pressing his lips passionately to her own a dream-like sense of intoxication overpowered honoria the air in the room became billowy and a hot fierce hand seemed to grip her throat her form swayed and her bosom palpitated in gentle undulations whatever the spell might be whether spiritual or otherwise she had completely succumbed to it. It was abruptly broken by a brief searching glance which a gentleman crossing the lawn directed towards the pair in the drawing room. Honoria recognised Dyson. He had forgotten an important official document which he had brought that morning for the Premier's consideration and had returned by the side entrance to place it upon the table in Mr. Longleat's study. Honoria wrenched herself from the embrace of her lover and darted to the window. Whence she could see Dyson emerge from the wing appropriated to her father's use, pass over the lawn and make his exit by a wicket-gate which communicated with the public gardens, she returned to the fireplace where Barrington stood attentively studying a photograph of herself that lay upon the mantelshelf. Did anything alarm you? he asked. i-no, yes, stammered Honoria, then flamed out an indignant rebuke. Why did you do that? I gave you no right to treat me so i was brusque daring pleaded barrington this he added pointing to her reflection in the pier glass must be my justification you make me hate myself she went on in an agitated manner a horrible feeling has come over me all the time i am struggling against you you do me nothing but harm i used to think that no one would ever dare to oh she cried covering her blushing face with her hands when I am with you, I have no pride. I am made to feel sunk in humiliation. Do you not think that there is glory in self-surrender, darling? said Barrington in eager tones. Be true to yourself. Why should you rebel against what is a woman's sweetest destiny? Do you not believe that I honour you? That I love you with every pulse of my being? How can I convince you that you would be happy as my wife? marriage in which there would be no ruffling of your delicate sensibilities no jarring against your prejudices in which your whole nature would expand under the influence of love would perfect your being and make your joy that is what i offer you it is i who have lifted you out of your tame colourless existence into life you are dazzled you dare not trust your senses which would be your surest guide to happiness you say that you understand me said honoria speaking almost in a whisper and looking earnestly in his face i must believe you for i do not understand myself at one time i thought that i should like best to rule and that other people should reflect my moods i wanted every to think and feel as i wished and then that seemed cold and i longed for a fuller life for sympathy and emotion and you came i wanted to have great passions like the people in books to live instead of to stagnate, and yet all the time I meant to be supreme. That is what I am not. I am a slave. It is as though I were being drawn by a bad spirit whether I do not wish to go. If I loved you, should I be afraid of you? And I struggle, and it is of no use. Nothing is of any use. At night I awaken all quivering and frightened. I awaken fancying that you have touched me in the darkness when i am with you i am excited in a dreamy horrible way and afterwards i shudder it is as though i had been standing on the edge of a precipice and had turned giddy if you understand me tell me why all this is in two words replied barrington you love do i love cried honoria almost wildly i sometimes wonder whom you love me said barrington drawing her again to him and holding her face almost on a level with his own, so that she was compelled to meet his look, it is my happiness to believe that it is so. I read confession in your eyes, on your lips, in the tones of your voice, in the beating of your heart. You love me. Honoria's bosom heaved, and her form became pliant as a reed in his grasp. The dread passed from her face, her eyes swam with tenderness, and her lips parted in a smile, half dreamy. Half coquettish. If love is surrender, she murmured, then I love. I will have no will. You shall be my will. You shall be my faith. End of chapter twenty five read by Celine Major.